Hear Wild Cornell Medicine's physicians and healthcare providers. Check out the entire podcast library at wildcornell.org slash podcasts. Welcome to Wild Cornell Medicine CancerCast, conversations about new developments in medicine, cancer care, and research. I'm your host, Dr. John Leonard, and today we'll be talking about improving communication among physicians, patients, and loved ones. I'm really happy uh, today to have as my guest Dr. Holly Priggerson. Dr. Priggerson is the Irving Sherwood Wright Professor of Geriatrics at Weill Cornell Medicine and co-director of the Cornell Center for Research on End-of-Life Care. Dr. Priggerson's research examines psychosocial and behavioral influences on medical care and outcomes for patients and families confronting life-threatening illnesses. She has served as principal investigator on multiple NIH investigations that focus on cancer patient and caregiver quality of life and racial and ethnic disparities in cancer care. So Holly, it's great to have you here today. So I know you've worked and are really a leading expert in the area uh, around communication between physicians and patients and caregivers. And this is obviously so important as patients go through their, their journey on many different levels. I want to start just by asking you, how did you start off your career in this area? Well, I've had a, a variety of personal experiences and professional experiences that have really uh, made me appreciate that patients often don't understand what their doctors are saying, mm-hmm. and they're afraid to ask them questions. And when they get the answers that they do ask questions to, they're, they're often confused and they don't want to admit that they don't understand what the doctor just said. So they leave kind of more confused than when they came but with more information. So I listened to scan results, discussions, and tapes, and I've experienced my own parents' and grandparents' care and been struck by how patients are sitting there and their family members are sitting there trying to almost impress the doctor and please the doctor, and they're afraid to ask what's on their mind. And I see it as a real missed opportunity, both on the part of patients to understand what's really going on with them and on the part of clinicians to realize that they're kind of talking past patients so that patients aren't really understanding what the words that are coming out of their physician's mouth. So maybe you could start by just giving us a couple of examples of kind of the good or the, the successful and, and or the bad or, or less successful as you see them. We do what we call cohort studies where we have a group of patients and their family members that we follow through the, the illness trajectory. Mm-hmm. And we were struck by the fact that patients who were actually within just months of of dying really had no idea that they were just that close to death. We have one statistic that's uh, 95% of patients who were that close to death didn't understand that they had incurable cancer, didn't understand that they were terminally ill at an end stage of their illness, and likely had months, not years left to live. Now, no one has a crystal ball, and not every patient or family member wants to talk about death and dying, no intricate details of their prognosis or their diagnosis or the biochemistry of of treatments. But we feel like we have a responsibility to both educate physicians on what patients are missing and also educate patients and families to speak up until they're satisfied with the amount of information that they get. So as I think any physician or caregiver would say, you know, we do want to communicate. We do want to make sure that patients understand the situation. 
but clearly this must happen for a reason. And you know, one reason that comes to mind is just time. People don't have the time to do it. Maybe they don't have the skills. But why, why is it that this happens? I suspect one of the contributing factors is physicians aren't really trained in how to communicate in a way that improves uh, comprehension on the part of patients. They're trained to say this drug uh, is likely to be effective for this, for this amount of time. Uh, these are possible side effects. And I don't think that physicians are, or oncologists specifically are trying to mislead patients, but they fall back on what they're comfortable talking about. They're not thinking about it from the patient's perspective. From the patient's perspective, sizes of tumors probably are of some interest to some, some patients and their families. But what they really want to know is, am I getting better? Am I getting worse? Have I stayed the same? If I'm getting worse on this treatment, does, what, does that mean I shouldn't try that anymore? Does that mean I should try a different treatment that might work? Or does that mean that I've exhausted all my options? So what we're trying to impress upon oncologists specifically is to communicate scan results in a way that would be better, worse, the same. Communicate treatment recommendations that are consumable by a patient or family. So should I try this and why? If you say that I should try this chemotherapy because it's gonna enhance my chance of survival, how long are you talking? Like, what, are, what are the bounds of a likely survival benefit that, that you're, because a, a lot of the communication tends to be black and white, like, like yes or no, yes, this will improve my survival, no, it won't, when there's probably a lot more gray that's a lot more difficult and nuanced and, and more challenging to predict in the first place. So I think oncologists aren't trying to be confusing or disingenuous, but they're, they want to stick to the facts and they want to stick to what they know, and they're not thinking about what the patient needs to be an informed consumer. So I, I know, and this is a major focus of your research of how to deal with this problem, how to prevent it and, and understand it. So for those in our audience that are patients or family members of patients that are trying to avoid this miscommunication, what sorts of tips or suggestions do you have for patients and families from their perspective to make sure that they're getting the information they need and the understanding they need um, if they're encountering this? Right. So um, first, first off, I want to say that I, I think a provider, an oncologist, any healthcare provider needs to be attuned to where the patient's coming from psychologically, uh, uh, culturally, spiritually. And in certain cultures, uh, it's, it's forbidden to actually have the patient discuss their treatment. But assuming that you're in a culture where there is a value on patients understanding and making informed choices and participating in a shared decision-making framework. So that has to be everyone has to be agreeing that that's what they want. We've also found that there are other barriers before even getting to how they should approach this. One of the most significant barriers to patients accurately hearing, for example, scan results we've found is anxiety. So if a patient is extremely anxious, we found that their likelihood of accurately hearing that discussion of whether uh, things were better, same, worse, significantly dropped. Somewhat paradoxically, depression actually increases your ability to process and hear bad news. It's almost a confirmation. The first step would be acknowledge whether 
there's a willingness on the family and, and the patient to even want to have this discussion and address any sort of psychological issues, fears, thoughts about wanting and praying for a miracle. Uh, so all those cultural, psychosocial issues need to be sort of addressed before proceeding to actual the nuts and bolts of, of the, the facts of someone's prognosis. But then if, if I were a patient, what I would want to be a quote-unquote informed consumer of healthcare would be if, if I'm being offered a treatment, a chemotherapy, I want to know what is my prognosis and what at least we mean by the word prognosis is I want to know what my chances of survival are and I want to know specifics. Not everybody wants to know specifics, but I would probe if, if what you want to understand is, is this treatment even intended to cure me? I think you should know that before signing an informed consent to say, I want more, another line uh, chemotherapy regimen, you should have a very clear understanding even the intent of that treatment is. And I don't think oncologists would resent or feel put upon to make those clarifications. Patients usually have some sense of the severity, in ballpark severity. If they want to know more, they should put those very specific questions about how long they think they have left to live, what does tr this treatment likely to involve, what are the most common side effects. Also, in terms of quality of life, not, don't just tell me side effects. Tell me, am I likely to feel better or worse? How much of my day am I going to be in bed because of this? And then lastly, trying to align what patients' goals are and making sure that the oncologist understands given certain trade-offs with treatments and side effects and different uh, priorities, rather than just always wanting to do more, we, we have data that suggests there is a tendency to just treat because you, you can, <laughs> and it feels so much better than doing nothing. And especially when you're you know, fighting a very powerful adversary like cancer, you, you, you want to fight back. I think that's just a human inclination, impulse to want to fight something. I think oncologists need to also hear that if given all the information and a patient decides, I don't want to fight this anymore, I've given it a good shot and I, I want my quality of life and my time spent with my family now, that the treatment uh, decisions made are in line with those realigned preferences. So there are there are times with a patient that I've said, you know, in your situation, 80% of people are cured, or 10% of people are cured, or the average person lives this long, but some people live that long, and some people live the other long. I mean, that to me seems to be giving a lot of information and, you know, fairly directly and clearly there are I've seen patients that responded very well to that and others that don't really want to hear that level of detail and I think one of the themes that you've that you've highlighted is understanding what the patient wants to wants to know the level of detail and and clearly that's a spectrum so my question is how how do I as a physician or how do I as a patient recognizing that there's a lot of gray in the level of detail how does one either figure out one, what one wants to know and how does one either ask or convey the level that one wants to know? Because it strikes me that those are going to be 
it, it, they may match up very well, and certain patients are very, very specific and are reading journal articles and want data, and others are just like, I trust you, do what you think is best, and obviously most people are in between. How do you calibrate that um, as a patient and as a caregiver? I would break it down. Mm -hmm. I would say for a patient and family member, I would go into the clinic meeting, even writing down, possibly even bringing in an audio recorder, ask what is it you want to know from this oncologist barring any sort of embarrassment maybe they discussed something before and you you're embarrassed that you don't remember the name of the drug or how mm -hmm. long you were on things putting all that aside what is it you want to leave this clinic visit having a solid understanding of and write that down before you go in to meet with with your physician or possibly even email them or send them in advance that these are my talking points. I, I want to understand these things. But the provider, so you're, you're, I think you're expressing concern that some patients want to hear a lot, some want a little. And how do I um, modify my approach based on their their preferences? And I think one one way to go would be first you you think through before you meet with the patient. What do you want that patient to know as a bare essential to be an informed consumer? Now, there, uh, some of the patients are probably not going to want to even know what you think is bare minimum. So you, you have to first say, how much about this do you want to know? Do you want to know about uh, life expectancy? Do you want to know about side effects? Do you want to know what's involved and how many times a day? And like, do you want to know? I think you need to know these things to make an informed choice. But some people don't would rather not not be bothered with all that detail. So so. Go in there with the bare minimum of what you think that they need to know. If they don't want that and there's an opportunity to not talk about those things, then you can say, okay, so right now we don't, we'll, we'll put a pin in that and we can talk about that at a future visit. But you, you need to say, these are the bare minimum. If, if the patient says, okay, yes, I want to know all those things and more. There's nothing to prevent you from going at what we call the verbatim details. Mm -hmm. So we're not saying that you should say only gist. We're saying that's the starting point. So figure out if they're willing to hear just the gist of what you think they need to know. If they are and want more, then you provide as, as many details as, as, as they, they're asking you for. But what bothers us is when we hit, listen to these audio tapes, it's all just gibberish. You know, I'm sorry. You know, it's like we had oncologists in the room listening to, and like, I don't know what that person just said. And it's just sort of heard from the patient as a lot of technical details that are not useful to them. So we're, we're just saying, we're not saying simplify. We're not saying dumb down per se, or even shorten. What we are saying is think of communication in terms of what do you want them to leave with and what do they want to leave with knowing, and then have it, got it go from there. So I was struck by your comment about how patients may be either embarrassed to say that they missed something the doctor said or even kind of want to please the doctor. Um, is that just simple human nature? Is there something around that? I mean, I, I try to remind patients that I work for them and that, you know, their, their job is not to, not to make my life easier, so to speak, but the other way around. Is there a quick tip or a thought that you would convey to patients just to make sure they don't fall into that trap? Well, 
making yourself human and, and appreciating how much information they're consuming and how challenging the circumstances are, especially given nerves. And the, and the stakes are high. Let's face it. You're not just talking about the weather. You're talking about their life. And that makes it even harder to understand a lot of complicated information. Giving them options to contact you after the visit, telling them that you're happy if there's a, if they bring along a companion who might help them sort of translate the medical ease, to audio tape it, and to welcome a follow-up clarification of some points that they might not have understood when while you were talking. I want to ask you, family members. So family members, it strikes me, can be challenging in this regard sometimes, but also helpful in this regard. So for family members, a couple of quick tips on how to make that um, participation helpful and productive as opposed to perhaps counterproductive. It's good to have someone have another set of ears. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge is really in having that other set, set of ears. Everyone has an agenda. Mm-hmm. So making sure that the agenda is really the, on the patient's behalf and focused on what's in the patient's best interest. Maybe the family member needs to also talk with the patient before the, and after and debrief with them about what they heard and how, how to align what uh, was, was said and their priorities with what the patient's, what's in the patient's best interest and most what the patient would want. Um, and not what the family member wants for the patient. So you highlighted the importance of the fact that the doc, that anxiety plays a huge mm-hmm. role in this. And no doubt a doctor visit for a cancer patient is hugely anxious, right? You're, you're getting a treatment. You don't know what it's going to be like. Um, you're not feeling well. You're getting a test result that you're nervous about. Maybe you just fought traffic uh, for three hours to get in. Um, you're sitting in this waiting room. You're sitting in a cold gown, whatever it is. All these, this constellation of things make this a very challenging experience. And I think you, you emphasize that those factors play into how people are not in a frame of mind where they're going to have a productive discussion. So what other than the obvious things of trying to prepare uh, and trying to make yourself as comfortable as you can. Any other suggestions that are going to make that easier for people? Yeah, actually, so we have, so we've developed these communication interventions, but our, my research is focused now on two types of interventions. One is in, enhancing communication and understanding, and the other part is focusing on the emotional piece and how that interferes with optimal understanding and, and decision making. And so we have something called our Empower Intervention, which actually works with the family member uh, of patients who can't communicate. So the family member in that circumstance is actually the the surrogate decision maker. Um, So what we do is we start our intervention is, it sounds, I know some people about woo-woo, it's very uh, psychobabbly or uh, not not that uh, sophisticated, but it's very a very simple and effective approach is mindfulness, a grounding exercise. So there have been many, many studies that show that grounding exercises, it can two minutes. We start our empower intervention by deep breathing or some sort of uh, muscle relaxation or ways to just ground and center someone so that they can take a few deep breaths and just re- try to relax in advance of d- discussing some pretty high stakes, uh, upsetting uh, details. Great. Well, we need to wrap up soon, but I want to f- just ask you one last question, and that is obviously your your research centers in this area, which 
hopefully means that this this problem and these challenges are going to get better as new uh, new learnings and and research lead to interventions. What is kind of your view of the future? How do you think things will change, or what what do, what are you most excited about as far as tools that are going to make this better for patients uh, going forward? Right. So. Actually, that, that's a great question because uh, I, I just gave a talk to uh, a PGY, some residents. When I was telling them about our GIST communication, they said, you know, 10 years from now, you probably won't even need these kinds of interventions because medical schools are, are admitting people with more of a psychosocial focus and more uh, humanistic uh, uh, med- medical students. There are also courses in training and how to give bad news and and it, communication. I would like to believe that uh, that's so effective and enough, but uh, I'm a little skeptical that that's going to be enough to really move the needle and and help patients truly uh, be understood and communicate as well as they should be. So I do think there needs to be sort of patient education about how to be an informed consumer. And then on the part of uh, what I'm excited about, uh, aside from sort of educating family members and oncologists and how to communicate in a more effective way. I feel like the emotional piece, so I've been doing studies for decades where remarkably most of the variants, most of the explanation for why someone gets a treatment or doesn't get a treatment, dies in hospice or hospital or any any number of uh, uh, medical decisions are really made for psychological and social reasons about religious conventions or uh, what things that were said or heard or not heard. And so why, why does that make me optimistic? Because those are modifiable. Looking at if, if anxiety interferes with hearing things accurately, let's target anxiety and ineffective interventions to reduce that and see whether that improves understanding of, of for example, test results. So I see that on the horizon, the appreciation and not discounting as um, pseudoscience, but recognizing the power of social science and the power of psychosocial interventions to improve the delivery and also outcomes of uh, medical care. So I, I see it's a it's a realistic goal, and I see it as modifiable, and I, I see it in our future. <laughs> Well, thanks very much. This has been a great discussion, and uh, I think you've given some uh, very important perspectives and insights and suggestions to our audience. Um, I want to invite our audience to please download, subscribe, rate, and review CancerCast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or online at wildcornell.org. We also encourage you to write to us at cancercast at med.cornell.edu with questions, comments, and topics you'd like to see us cover more in-depth in the future. That's it for CancerCast, conversations about new developments in medicine, cancer research, and cancer care. I'm Dr. John Leonard. Thanks for tuning in. Cancer and cancer treatment can be very hard on the body. Rehabilitation medicine can help cancer patients recover from swollen joints, surgery, and other painful side effects. Be sure to listen to Back to Health, our rehabilitation medicine podcast featuring conversations with leading specialists about rehab, the latest research, and innovations.
All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast, opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Wild Cornell Medicine as an institution.